welcome CFE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. Why can I not get people to walk 100 yards down the corridor or across um, the road for free, brilliant CPD that has tea and cake? when at um, nine o'clock at night, there's a couple of dozen of them and sometimes hundreds of them conference-wise on a Saturday, turning up to UKFE chat. What on earth is going on? Welcome to FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher-Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith, Joe. How are you? What have you been up to? Oh, I'm good. Oh, I have been up to things. So glad you asked. Um, well, um, Learning and Skills Research Network, I can't stop wittering on about um, this network. So it's uh, been around for 25 years, but so I still loads of people haven't heard about it. Anyway, it is simply a network with um, regional people who do lots of things to do with, with research, educational research. But I'm working with a few colleagues across sector who Rachel Terry from Huddersfield Uni, um, Leila Pierce from College Gwent, one of the Welsh colleges, and Kirsty Tate from East Durham. And we are um, leading on the preparations for a very exciting um, edu type of research conference in Birmingham. So I can't stop thinking about it. I've even when are you doing thought, that? When are you doing it? Oh, no. oh. oh, maybe I should ask. It's on a Saturday, which I know doesn't favour everybody, twenty uh, second of April. But we are inviting people to come and you know present and things. But in in academia, they call it um, call, a call for papers. I call it come and do a presentation or whatever. But um, oh, it'll be really good. I've even booked. Get this, a poet in residence for the day. Oh yeah, what more could you ask for? I mean, you know, we're throwing everything at this. Um, I'm just really excited about it. Anyway, enough of that. How are you? I'm really good, yeah. That's like good. Those evenings are getting <laughs> a little bit lighter. Oh, really? Have you noticed? Well, like a minute I have noticed, lighter. yes. A minute, a minute earlier. Okay, so here we are uh, recording. It's February actually now as we're recording. Who knows when you will put this uh, recording out? No pressure. It might go out in February. Who knows? Um, we're here with <laughs> we're here with um, our guest this evening, and it is Lynn Taylorson from Amplify FE. Welcome, Lynn. Hello, Joe. Hi, Alistair. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. It's lovely to have you. Um, it, you know, in planning the questions, it was so hard because knowing a bit about you, you do so many different things. I was thinking we'd need a week. <laughs> We'd need a week. But we picked out a few things to ask you about. So as you know, here um, we are interested in all things to do with sort of FE research, and which I know you are an advocate of and you're undertaking your own PhD, but also you're doing quite a lot of work with Amplify FE. So but let's start by, tell, tell us a bit about yourself. And we really want to hear a bit about your researcher journey. Sure, no problem. Um, yeah, about me, where do I start? Um, I mean, my FE career started in about 2000. I moved over from broadcasting industry into teaching 14 to 19 computing, slowly moved over into teacher ed. And I actually fitted uh, a master's in education in between that transition because I was a bit at crackers in those days. Um, and that was on mentoring. So I suppose you could say that my research journey started then in about 2004. And then, as a lot of people do, promptly stopped. 
Um, so I'd moved over, as I say, into teacher education, loving that kind of um, research supervision. I love that, you know, because there'd be action research in all of those modules um, on the sort of PGC and debt program. So in a kind of a supervisory role for researchers, um, then slowly, slowly, slowly thought, you know, FE's getting too much hours and you know lots of travel and things like that so um on a whim i jacked it all in and started my own independent training provider uh, real-time education so we specialize in fe um and training sector cpd so anything from um we do things like the award and education and training but also those little one-off um events like safeguarding and all of those kind of things um while I was kicking off setting off a real-time education, um, I came across the Practitioner Research Programme, ETF's much-missed Practitioner Research Programme, which is, um, as I'm sure you'll know, be, being a, a fellow participant, Joe, mm -hmm. um, hosted up in um, Sunderland from the Sunset team. And I put my toe in the water and thought, oh, this looks interesting. Should I get back into actually being a researcher myself? And did you can start with a little master's module? So I started with a little master's module. And I kid you not, it was very much like falling into a fast flowing river. Suddenly, I'd got myself enrolled, um, looking rather bewildered onto an MPhil, which transferred into a PhD. And I mean, I think the fast flowing river metaphor is brilliant because I mean, I don't know if you found it picks you up and the enthusiasm of your peers and the team there just carries you away with this. I couldn't imagine I could do this, but yes, I can sort of attitude. At the same time, while I was doing that, I was working for the wonderful um, Claire Collins consultancy. So I was actually supervising um, practitioner researchers on OTLA. Mm. So particularly people looking into digital skills. Um, and I suppose I'm doing less of both of them nowadays. I'm back into teacher training. The thesis is over. And I'm doing different kind of research with um, the wonderful UFI and ALT funded Amplify FE program. So mm. as you kind of hinted, I've got a lot of very strange, different shaped hats that I swapped during the week. So, yeah, I think that's me. Mm. Uh, we should have said Dr. Lynn Taylor. So. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I can't, you know, reset any joints or staunch bleeding. So I do like to think of myself as just yeah. Lynn. No, Lynn, honestly, it's the only reason I'm hanging on in there. And Alistair is on it as well. We're both in the same cohort. He He's, you know, probably got more professional reasons for wanting to do it. I just want the hat. And the, 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 the hat, yeah, the hat and the day and the walk down and the don't yeah. trip over. And it's so nice because it's the only, it's only at that level that your supervisor comes up with you and you actually... Um, kind of walk onto the stage together and I think I that's so that. nice yeah. yes so so um, supervised by and they'll read out your supervisor's name and the title and it's kind of like then you give each other a hug so it actually is almost like having you doing a degree and having all your teachers on stage and I think that's a lovely yeah. part of it because it is such a sort of co-designed and co-created journey. That's an extremely special relationship, I think, between mm -hmm. somebody doing an MPhil or somebody doing a, a PhD and their actual supervisor. So, you know, I think that that's a really, 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 really powerful thing that's uh, that's going on there. I'm, um, I'm, and I'm glad you've talked about that because I think, because a lot of what we talk about is to try and demystify things. Yes. It isn't just like doing a bigger MA, <laughs> is it? <laughs> 
And it's I think that's not. what people think. Yeah. It might be. A, a master's is very different. Master's are great. You know, people get a lot of value from them. And I think that's brilliant. How it's different is kind of intangible somehow. Um, I suppose there's a lot less structure. There's yeah, a lot yeah. more um, opportunities for disappearing down cul-de-sacs and rabbit holes. Um, and, oh, I'd like to look at that. Well, that's interesting. It links to that. I can research that now. And it's the job of your supervisor to just keep a hold on those reins and make sure that you, you don't bite off more than you can chew. And actually, I'm a terrible one. As as uh, Trish Spedding, my, my wonderful mm. supervisor, would tell you for just doing the, oh, look, a squirrel. And, and yeah, going off yeah. at a random direction yes. and forgetting the research question because there's so many, much, there's so much interesting stuff. Once you start digging, you want that bit and you want that bit. And it's actually, um, you know, your supervisor's job to walk with you and just, mm. you know, keep focused. I think, I think that was the kind of underlying message from my supervisor's last email to me was to, you know, get a grip. <laughs> Get a grip, I think he was trying to say. Um, actually, since there's only three of us in the room, you know, we don't know who will listen. I will mm-hmm. share with you a really quite famous story in Sunset History about Alistair going down one of those rabbit holes one evening. And the next morning I woke up to an email, which was all about, um, well, it was about mushrooms, to be honest, Lynn. Mushrooms. Oh, you do. Uh, and so what we felt is that he'd created a whole new paradigm, research paradigm. Fantastic! A fungi-based paradigm. It was it was a mycological paradigm, according to Michael, wasn't it? Yes, (laughs) it was a mycological paradigm. So there we go. Interesting stuff. Right. Well, what we're here to talk about. uh, You mentioned Claire Collins. Actually, she was on the last uh, edition of the podcast, so people can knit back and and listen um, to Claire. But we're here to talk about Amplify FE. So start Mm -hmm. by telling us what on earth is Amplify FE, and then we'll introduce two pieces of the work that Amplify FE are engaged with and talk about those. Fantastic. Yeah. Amplify FE is um, an initiative that's funded by UFI and the Association for Learning Technology, ALT. And I'm part of um, a wonderful team of three. Um, It's got quite a few strands and it's got quite a few hats, basically. So um, I am conducting ongoing research into how um, learning technology and digital tools can help to narrow the digital divide for learners that are most impacted by it. I've also got some work, assist, I'm, I'm Chloe Hines, wonderful, lovely assistant, basically. So Chloe is in charge of the community of practice. So the community of practice isn't a community of practice. So that's a useful, helpful thing to say, isn't it? It's actually looking to bring together a community of communities. So it is agnostic in terms of the communities that it will promote. It is basically there to amplify anything that anyone is doing in FE. And that might be an individual doing a piece of research. It might be a whole college that's starting a new initiative. Um, We are just there to help people amplify um, their their work. it tends to have a little bit of a digital bent. So it's something generally to do with, with technology, but then name me a bit of vocational education that hasn't got something to do with technology. We will shoehorn it in. If you turn up Alistair and say, I'm looking into mushrooms, we'll say, <laughs> that could have a technology angle. I think you'll find. Come on to Amplify FE. Mm. Um, so basically that community is... We, we met up, didn't we? We had a lovely stand at the SET conference and the same at the ALT conference. Um, 
just to bring people together over a cup of tea and get people talking in an informal way. Um, and I'm trampling over for Chloe's um, territory a little bit here, but Chloe Hines is head of recording podcasts and also publishing blogs. So if you are doing any FE research or you've got a program you want to promote, or actually, if you're doing some research or putting a program together and you would like to ask the FE community, yeah, what do you think of this then? Or what should I do next? Or are these findings kind of robust? then you could approach Chloe and, and have your, your little bit of, um, of time in the limelight there. We're very active on Twitter as well, so doing things like UKFE chat and also our own Twitter chats. And the idea is, I think, um, that there's so much silo working in FE. There was before the pandemic um, and, you know, that might have made people even more isolated. The number of times, I don't know about you, would you agree, you'll go, you'll hear about an event or something that's happening, you think, oh, why did I not know about that? I'd love to have gone along. Or why did I not know that this piece of research was happening? I'd love to have participated in it. Amplify FE is simply for people. You know, we've got a Padlet events calendar. So if you've got an event coming on, like, for example, um, Jane Chillingworth's wonderful um, Sustain FE community of practice for ESD, you can say, hey, here are my meetings. Here's how you come along. You know, FE research meet, all of those things. Mm. Everybody welcome. Um, and I think we found that it's been really well received because most communities, not yours, of course, but some others have got an angle. They've got an agenda. They've maybe got some funding to fulfill. But Amplify FE will just promote what you're doing without fear or favour. You know, FE needs to shout about itself. And I think the idea is not only to promote within the sector, but also talk to major you know, sector stakeholders be it Ofsted or the government or DFE or ETF, about how powerful FE community is and the impacts that it's having. Not just research, I mean, research for sure, but professional networking, you know, learning events, that kind of stuff, informal meetups. Yeah. So there's a lot of hats. So that's the community. And the wonderful um, Emma Proctorleg, who is our lovely boss, she is... Um, her strand of this um, is to do with what she what what she calls sector audits. So, what is the landscape of FE communities? We've got a map, and you can put yourself on the map. And I'm sure we'll we'll provide some links for that kind of stuff. How are FE communities faring? Are they sustainable over the last sort of year or two? Which communities have flourished? Which have which have gone and and, and sort of left us? Um, and the kind of shape of the and the flavour, if you like, of the communities that are there. So actually, it's it's a it's a community and an initiative, actually, Amplify FE of, of many, many hats. It does lots of stuff. And we're just wanting people to get involved because we want FE folk and also communities within FE to kind of co-design it and say what it is, really. Mm. Okay. Um and you mentioned Emma's uh, report there, which we will share a link on. And I, mm. I remember the first one, it identified 100 communities. I have to say, I don't think he'd ever listen to this. Professor Jonathan Tummins, the expert on communities of practice. I'm not sure how he would define 
you know, whether he would say this de- is defined as communities of practice. But anyway. Yes, so I think he about- might say, hang on a minute, some of those aren't strictly communities of practice. Just in case he ever listens, Lynn, you know. I know. We will get our disclaimer in right now, Joe. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but there were about 100 names in the first report a couple of years ago. And then the one that's just come out, there were a 260 yeah. uh, of these communities being identified by Emma, mm. uh, which is, tells a story in itself. And maybe we'll get you to comment on that yes. on that later. But um, what I want to ask you about then is the thing you actually did come here for, which <laughs> is um, to talk about the insights research into EdTech and um, about closing the digital divide. So tell yeah, us about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's take a little backtrack and talk about uh, Emma's research. I hope you'll invite her. But um, as you say, the communities have burgeoned so hugely over the last couple of years that she's going to be splitting that research. So there's going to be mainstream communities. Then she's going to start looking at research communities. This means you. Mm-hmm. And she's also going to be looking at communities to do with things like inclusion, I think possibly digital. So it's simply become too on wieldy to talk about FE communities because they are growing and expanding and diversifying at such a rate that even she said, look, this research needs to have several strands now. Mm. Yeah, talking of strands of research, yeah. The the insights work. Um, as I say, it's all about experts sharing how they have designed and deployed learning technology and digital tools to help close the digital divide. So looking at those vocational learners that are particularly disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked to some fabulous people. We've already mentioned um, Claire Collins. We spoke to Joss Kang, Diana Laurelard, um, people like Peter Kilcoyne, who've been um, running things like the Blended Learning Consortium to say, look, if you are designing learning technology for adults, what do you need to know before you start? And then if you're trying to deploy it yourself as a product or even you're in a college and you're looking for your colleagues to take up that technology and be enthusiastic about it, then what do you need to know? And, you know, it was amazing. We spoke to to so many people. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Lou Mycroft, can I mention, um, about how you go about um finding out what learners need when they're using learning technology and actually some of the findings were obvious if you like um, more obvious should I say you know they need to have ready access and they need some support but I think this is something that's coming out in a lot of research nowadays confidence is often the biggest barrier you know, particularly when we think of teenagers, we think, oh, they've got their own YouTube presence. They're a TikTok megastar. They're phenomenally digitally confident. No, they're not when it comes to learning online and things like validating information, doing their research, motivating themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was a really common theme that um, adult learners getting into using learning technology needs some quick wins. They need support, you know, immediately when it's available and they need confidence building. The other thing that we found, and I suppose we could, you could say this across the piece in FE, it's got to be contextualized and meaningful for adults. Quite a few people that we that we spoke to um, to do with um, numeracy applications spoke about the FE issue of dividing up sweeties. 
Adults do not want to work on maths problems about dividing up sweeties or pocket money. And how many times do we see that? They need, you know, meaningful contextualized examples. So how will going online help me source cheaper travel? Mm. Can it help me get in touch with family members who are spread across the UK? Um, mm. Can it help me with things like shopping and budgeting? Can it help me get my presence together when I'm looking for a new job? Mm. So, you know, th- those were the key findings that, that you know, came out of it when it came to designing it. But actually deploying it was another story because um, – Teachers spoke about learning technology being done to them. I'm sure we've all been recipients of some learning technology being done to us. Here is the glitzy new box. Um, Your principal has paid a fortune for it. You will now use it. Mm. And actually, maybe the camera on your mobile phone is a better tool for your learners. Mm. Or they want a simple glossary. Um, Yeah, no no particular principles being named there. And it's to do with teachers being co-designers of this the huge message from the whole piece was that if you are designing a piece of technology you should not be designing that piece of technology you should be co-designing it with learners and co-designing it with teachers and they should have the steering wheel saying what they because they know what they want and they know their problems and they know what they need to solve and there are a lot of assumptions made um in you know in good faith by, by by teachers about what learners actually need. And I think technology is one particularly where we might tend to make a lot more assumptions. We're probably more sympathetic with adult learners coming back to do maths about their levels of confidence and anxiety than we are perhaps with digital. Mm. When you, Now, just for t- terminology, when you talk, mm. are you talking post-19 or because you have mentioned young people as well, are you talking post-16? What? Yeah, we're, to- we're talking post-16, absolutely, right. okay. absolutely. Um, you know, it was nice to talk to communities that are helping um, older adults. So we talked to quite a few of the, um, the teams, if you like, that are taking part in the current UFI VocTech Challenge. Mm-hmm. So there's the CITB in Northern Ireland are making a wonderful app that encourages young engineers to build a bridge digitally mm-hmm. and then build it on site and then test it. But actually, they've got to spec it and they've got to do the budget for it and they've got to write a report on it. Then there's a wonderful um, charity um, up in Scotland that's linked to the YMCA that um, is setting up a children's clothing company. And everybody working in that charity are doing different digital things. So how do I do a social media campaign? Mm. How do I go about keeping company accounts and using Excel for the more, you know, prosaic stuff? And it's actually bringing digital and digital skills building into activities that adults will identify with and find inspiring and useful. And I think Mm. there's a lot of that going on in the VocTech Challenge. So it is for all ages. Absolutely all ages, yeah. Okay, so we will share um, the link to that report and, and do uh, yes the findings. Um, there's so much more I could ask you. I was thinking, oh gosh, I could ask you about the new digital skills entitlement, but that'll send us down a rabbit hole that we can't go down. We've already um, done mushrooms. We haven't got time for mushrooms. <laughs> we haven't and got the digital though. skills entitlement. Yeah. Let's hand over to um, Alistair for some mm-hmm. questions. <sighs> Thanks for bringing up the mushrooms, Joe. That <laughs> a pleasure. Right. <laughs> so, 
Now, we quite clear, we, we've been chatting away so far, and there's a massive role played by social media, okay? And mm. your own PhD considers this. But actually, Twitter's changed, and that's one of those big ones, isn't it, right? It's changed quite a lot. I've noticed as I'm scrolling through, um, it isn't quite serving up what it's once used to. I might not be seeing all the things that I think I should be, even when I'm doing those controls. So where do you think that leaves communities if if there's that pressure on something that we've kind of relied on quite heavily really to communicate what what a brilliant question and i think really timely actually um i think so many education communities were embedded on twitter maybe they they um either came to pass on Twitter, you know, things like UKFE chat that are that are totally Twitter-based, or they've been leveraging Twitter really, really powerfully. And let's just say with your recent takeover, um, we're, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole of, of pulling that apart. It's changed fundamentally. And the thing that um, I heard from quite a few people who are using Twitter was, heavens, this has changed so fundamentally, we need a backup plan. And people started referring it to as bird sight and saying, well, I've got a, um, a presence now on elephant sight. And you suddenly saw people thinking, oh, if, if if it closes, because there was some very doom-laden news coming about, I think we should be on, for example, Mastodon. Other social media platforms are available. And we should, um, you know, um, start to set up there. And people were, were thinking about making the move and there was a lot of, you know, ducking and diving. But I was just hearing a terrible sense of regret and loss because um, FE people, a lot of FE people absolutely love Twitter and kind of almost think of it as our own. And it's just it was almost like this voicing of what have you done to my Twitter? And actually, it was very, very, very personal. And I think and I don't want to say this really, I hesitate to say it because I feel I'm tempting fate that in autumn and getting towards Christmas, the news seemed a lot worse than it was about Twitter. And maybe now it's stabilized. Yes, I'm certainly seeing more ads. Um, I've, I've heard some horror stories from, from wonderful people, mostly involved in political campaigns, who've lost half their followers overnight. And then people are, are just saying, hey, if you followed me, get back on Twitter and please refollow me with the hashtags they usually use, and are slowly getting followers back. Um, I'm a follower of, of um, quite a few people who've had their accounts suspended, you know, you might, might as well, and, mm. and they are really innocent accounts without um, any sort of reason or recourse, and it's taken a while to get them back. Retirement Tales is one of my absolute favourites. Joe's nodding and smiling. Jeff and Margaret. They suspended Jeff and Margaret, who were talking about, you know, old-fashioned fax machines and which is my favourite board marker. So how on earth that could have fallen foul? It's rather a trivial example, but it is actually loved by teachers. It is a beloved thing. And it's one of those little mainstays that makes you smile on a difficult day. So I think there's been a lot of repositioning. There's been a lot of dread and a lot of fear and a lot of should we set up elsewhere. Um, and I don't want to say I think it might be leveling out. Sadly, it's about money at the end of the day. And Twitter can be a huge cash cow and it's worth to the person who's taken out a lot of loans to buy it 
is going to be diminished by alienating us. And I like to think, I hope, that education is quite a powerful voice on Twitter and, and quite a big user group. And I think we need to be feeling the love more. And Jeff and Margaret were reinstated just the other day. So it does go to show that I don't know if the tide is turning and the heavy-handed approach that happened initially is, is changing. I think it's early to say, but I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about us possibly be here, being here talking about teachers' Twitter in two years' time than I necessarily was back in October where we're all having discussions about oh. where on earth are we going to go. I, I needed Alistair to um, give me therapy when that news broke. That, that was terrible. Mm. I'm seeing a bit more gravitation towards LinkedIn, actually. Like, Interesting. Uh, yeah, which... Yeah, yeah. I've I've noticed yeah. that as well. I was I was just thinking while you're saying because going back to the great metaphors, we won't go mushrooms, but um, I was thinking you know you you might not necessarily go out without an umbrella in your bag just in case or or you know a, a kind of backup mm -hmm. plan. Um, and I think up until this point, we've probably put a lot of reliance on Twitter without that backup plan. So once that platform is kind of removed, it's a bit of a oh my oh my heavens, what now? You know, you, you get so yeah. you miss out. You don't have that platform and. Um, you know, I, I speak to Joe a lot and, and we'll send messages and, and tweets to one another. And even Joe stopped appearing on my own Twitter feed um, for a long time. She's upset now. But it was that was when I realized there was something kind of not quite right. You know, this this is like a, a, a choice following and, and I'm mm -hmm. missing mm -hmm. a huge amount of stuff on there. And, and I'm the stuff I am seeing, I'm spending all of my time kind of scrolling past. I'm thinking, not that, not that, not that. And yeah. going in and frequently altering those lists, which seem to have all sorts of odd things growing on them that I, I'd never have any association with. Um, I don't necessarily. Like I do, and things, so. I'm not sure my um, experience, and I've no idea why, has been as strange as some other people's. But I think the reaction from, from teacher pals has been almost visceral. It was a really emotional reaction. I can only liken it to leaving the best party you've ever been at and remember and just thinking, gosh, I never got that person's mobile phone number. And mm. people were thinking, gosh, I, I and people were downloading, and I've done it, downloading lists of their followers and people they were following so they can go and find them on another platform like LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, you're saying about LinkedIn um, having a good day over this. I mean, I use it for sort of posting news. And obviously, I've actually got quite a lot of work over the years from LinkedIn with people contacting me, which is, you know, was its core purpose. Um, and I comment on posts of dear friends. I don't see the chat breaking out and the ne that necessarily that comfortable networking. And I think, you know, they, they have got a huge opportunity here if they can figure out how to, I'm not going to say Twitterify LinkedIn. But, I mean, do you, do you think that's a way that you can see things going? It's hard to know, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I don't know. I was just going to, I've told you I signed up to today, the free trial for LinkedIn Premium, but I will be cancelling it because it is a ridiculous <laughs> price. But I just thought, oh, for four weeks, I'll have a freebie and see what the, what happens. Um, but there's no way educators could be engaging with it and paying that kind of money, you know. So. No, no. And I, I'm not sure what that gets me. Um, no, it'd be interesting know. to know. You should do a piece on on what it got. Yeah. 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 You need like a collective voice from uh, ed 
tech and education to get onto LinkedIn and say, come on, give us teachers a, a discount here. We need to be there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's important, right? So, yeah, okay, we, we've got this thing with, with Twitter going on and we, we just mm. talked about the LinkedIn and I know that um, we've both written some stuff for Fusion Mag, which has gone on to Instagram as a, as a bit of a different space. So why are FE staff engaging through social media, do you think? Why is that? so big oh it it is a very interesting one and i mean really it was that it was the topic of my thesis came from a, a curiosity actually which was you know it's it's about fe teachers um informal professional learning and it came from so many conversations i'd had somebody who in an fe college tried to organize cpd which went something like why can I not get people to walk 100 yards down the corridor or across um, the road for free, brilliant CPD that has tea and cake when at um, nine o'clock at night, there's a couple of dozen of them and sometimes hundreds of them conference wise on a Saturday turning up to UKFE chat? What on earth is going on? Um, and I think it's all about agency. Basically, well, the, the people I talked to as part of my thesis were saying, we get to set the agenda here. This CPD is our CPD. And, you know, I think something like UKFE chat is, is the proof of the pudding, really, in terms of its popularity and its longevity. You can say, oh, well, I'm not turning up this week. Although you will, because it's it's ESOL with a fantastic Diane Tremaine, if, we, if we're looking at uh, times later tonight. That's not really in, in my ballpark, whereas next week we're doing digital or something like, you know, um, motivating learners. I'm all over that. Um, and I think it is all about whether it's Twitter or whether it is things like FE Research Meet happening. There's the idea about agency. And this isn't it is only natural for FE organisations to have an agenda. If, for example, the Ofsted report has highlighted a certain area that needs to be improved for a grade to change in one way or another, that is going to be the CPD focus. Um, and I think sometimes it can be very instrumentalist and heavy handed and quite performative when it comes to the way that that CPD is put on. Maybe. Again, I was speaking earlier about teachers feeling that technology was being done to them. Lots of lots of teachers were telling me that um, CPD was being done to them. And the communities on Twitter or on social media or, you know, informal gatherings of, of the kind that you, you've been putting on face to face give people chance to, to take that steering wheel and take control of the agenda. And once you've got, I think, you know, we've got that great sort of like weight of numbers in FE now and people have communities that they can dip into, that they, they find supportive. Um, and they don't always want to, dare I say it, talk about directly um, improving learning outcomes for learners in a measurable way that I can definitely say that I've done by next term. They want to be talking about how can I improve learners' maths confidence over a five to ten year period so they leave more confident to, to go on, for example, into the outside world. Um, and I think that a lot of FECPD is deliberately meant to have a very fast, if you like, flash to bang time. 
We're looking at um, instant impacts that are needed um, right away for organisations. And teachers are playing the long game and they want to improve the communities around them and they want to improve society as a whole and make it, you know, more equal. Mm. And I think those two things are inevitably in quite a tension when you've got people who are looking at um, improving life for an FE learner and their family and their community and somebody else who perhaps for very good reasons has got a CPD agenda of making sure that formative assessment is done more rigorously right away. Thank you. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make two responses to that, Lynn. One, Mm. I am an advocate of cake. I make no apology. (laughs) Don't apologise for cake. But also, I think quite a lot of us, and particularly, I know this from the Sunset community, Mm. whose um, PhDs have sort of got a professional development focus, have really flipped um, how things used to be in our colleges. And there's so much more autonomy and choice. So I don't think it's, I'd like to think it's not, it's definitely not like that everywhere. Uh, I think it's not like that everywhere. And you've got to remember, I started asking these questions in um, Heavens 2017. Mm. And I think there's been a radical change in the time because I think that a lot of um, senior leaders have seen that they can either dictate the topic and have no one turn up or they can allow people to have some agency and then perhaps steer that agency and have really engaged practitioners who are with cake, obviously, um, as a lure, um, just dying to research their own practice. And I think that leaders, I hope, in an awful lot of places, perhaps not the majority yet, are seeing unexpected impacts from that, that it is actually giving them the improvements that they wanted directly that they were looking to get with a, if we dare say, a sheep dip one hour CPD session, which didn't engage and didn't contextualize and I think you know contextualization is a really really important word and a really important concept that's quite that's quite a good sort of almost an end point isn't it we should just soundbite that bit <laughs> <laughs> no you better end on mushrooms well you mushrooms I love all things to do with sheep obviously yes so, you know of course yeah I, forgot. I didn't even think of that when I put the sheep reference in absolutely <laughs> I could have done goats. So for goat dip. You don't need yeah, to dip a goat. goat. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, was that okay? It was fabulous. Um, good, good. What we'll do is put links out with this podcast for people to click away on and you know anything that you want to share then we'll make sure that happens but thank you very much if you can't find any links let me know and actually I have to say that I know it's only half past seven but actually by my standards that was actually quite a low ramble factor (laughs) so sorry anyway lovely spending time with you lovelies when are we seeing each other again hopefully maybe in Birmingham yeah well yeah hopefully do you know what we're still recording Lane don't go anywhere This one will not get edited out. Good. Stay where you are. We, what we do is we do a kind of goodbye and podcast well, but we keep you on the screen. Um, yes. So um, Learning and Skills Research Network Conference. It'll be one of these kind of spaces that you're talking about. Um, it will be a fabulous day. So hopefully we'll see you there in April. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Great talking to you both. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. 
Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us again soon.